0: Hello and welcome to the Combat and Classics Podcast. This is Brian Wilson in Dallas, Texas.
1: This is Lise Van Boxel at St. John's College in Santa Fe, New Mexico.
2: And I'm Jeff Black, visiting Colorado Springs, Colorado. Today we're doing book one of
0: Aristotle's Politics. We're going to do a little bit of a, a deep read. We're going to actually read out uh, book one, part one, and maybe book two, or book one, part two, uh, depending on how far along we get. Uh, but Lisa is going to give us a little bit of a overall summary of the book first. Thanks
1: Brian. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to, um, do this book in part because, um, I wanted us to be able to make more explicit how some of these great books, including literature, some of the literature we've been doing, how they are relevant to how you're living your life. So they're not just sort of a book club, oh, this is entertaining. They are meant to make you more thoughtful about how you live your life by showing you how to think about your your life. And Aristotle is excellent at that. Um, Probably nobody better. Um, So I thought we could uh, deal with this book about the politics where he traces politics the question of what constitutes political good political rule in particular back to the most basic starting points for for a human being the things that we um, you can't go any deeper than, if I could put it that way, and then from those starting points, sort of elemental starting points, up to universal principles. And he goes back and forth in that motion to test his opinions so he can, uh, or with a view to being able to give a reasoned argument for his opinions that is actually rooted in the most basic things we can know. So let me give an example. Um, Most of... Uh, many human beings, maybe most human beings, are concerned about politics, interested in politics. Um, certainly at the moment, that is that is definitely the case. But even if you're not sort of a daily um, partaker of news, you certainly become interested in politics when you think an injustice has been done to you, for example. Um, but our views on what we think are, is ju- are, is, is, a, is a just situation or an unjust situation are necessarily prejudices for every human being be- who begins to think about these things or who has never thought as deeply as he or she could think about these things. They must be prejudices. To use Plato's analogy, you're born into a cultural context. You're indoctrinated just by just by living. Everything around you indoctrinates you. And then uh, at a certain point, point um, certain age usually people become pretty vehement in their political positions and sometimes unable to evaluate them or to talk about them or to tolerate a different opinion about them and even if those people can give something of a reasoned argument for why they think what they think it's almost always the case that that argument does not go back to the fundamental principles of things which is to say uh, while it more be while it may be a, a better account than the simply prejudiced account or dogmatic opinion it nevertheless still falls within that category so that's the thing we're we're going to try and illustrate by way of aristotle that is what it would mean to push right down to the fundamentals. Mm -hmm.
2: Um, And just to put some of my cards on the table here, I can say why um, a very careful and slow reading through the beginning of the politics is of interest to me and I think relevant to my life. And it's because one of the questions that's going to come up, I think, as we proceed carefully through Aristotle's beginning, the beginning of his presentation, is, um, is there a necessary injustice in every political association? And knowing whether that's necessary or not helps you evaluate your own uh, political system that you've grown up in and that you live in and that you might be called on to make sacrifices for. And so no, that's, it's very, that's, Go ahead. As
1: I said, that, that's great. It's, um, the push to make something completely unproblematic might just be childish, right? That's what you're, what you're getting at. That For Aristotle, politics might be about managing, to some extent, managing problems that are not solvable.
2: Right. And it's a great gain to see what is possible and what not is po- what is not possible and to have reasons for it.
1: Yeah. And then um the other thing we wanted to notice particularly about Aristotle is uh the difficulty of of reading, so reading like thinking is an art, right? Um we we assume well, I know how to read. No, not not really. Not with a not with a writer like this who is just so careful. It actually requires some experience, some practice, some training. Um, which isn't to say you can't jump in, but it it's things aren't always as they appear. So, for example, Aristotle um, typically will begin. A question by saying what's at stake in the question, what it's really about, and then beginning and then turning to common opinions about that question or common answers to that question. Those are not his answers. He then evaluates or analyzes those answers um in order to come up with what he regards as the right opinion plus the reasoned argument to support it that is rooted in fundamentals and extends to highest universals. That combination, right opinion, plus what I'm just going to call an account for shorthand, is knowledge. That's as good as it gets, basically, for Aristotle. Um, The other thing that he often does is is, um, he'll say things like, it seems, or people say... Uh, so, for example, if I don't, I don't know if we'll get to it today, but he treats both slavery and the position of women in politics. Most people read Aristotle and they think, um, having read *The Politics*, oh yes, he's sexist, right? Or he or, or he entertains slavery. Well, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But um, a close reading um, will allow us to evaluate. Uh, those, um, opinions properly as opposed to just accepting what you commonly hear, which is that Aristotle's sexist or, uh, endorses slavery, these sorts of things. Um, maybe I'll try one more way of approaching this, which I often use for students that are coming to this book or, or, uh, any of the great books for the first time. And I think it pertains particularly to military folks, um, a political order which Aristotle will refer to as a polis or city-state, but even a nation ultimately uh, requires that there be some human beings who are willing to die in its defense right obviously if it doesn't have that it's not going to um, sustain itself. Um, when uh, you're thinking about that most serious question you want to have you want to know whether that's Uh, whether you, you know why that might be a worthwhile thing to do, or the best of bad options to do. So I say to my students, for example, if you're in a position where you think, say, I think women should be educated, or I think slavery is bad. And then you come up against some other country where they think, well, we don't think women should be educated. What are you going to say to that? I mean, you, are you just going to yell at them and say, "Well, I think they should," and they then they and they yell back at you? That goes no place. And we see a lot of that today. Um, if you're pressed, can you give an account? This is what we're trying to this is what we're trying to offer, right? You ought to be able to give an account. Aristotle certainly has an account. Um, so,
2: yeah. So shall shall we go ahead and see what he has to say about politics? Yeah, Brian? let's see
0: what Aristotle <laughs> has to say about politics. All right, so this is uh, book one, uh, part one. Observation tells us that every state is an association and that every association is formed with a view to some good purpose. I say good because in all their actions, all men do in fact aim at what they think is good. Clearly then, as all associations aim at some good, that association which is the most sovereign among them all and embraces all others will aim highest i.e. at the most sovereign of all goods. This is the association which we call the state, the association which is political. Uh, So we
2: can stop there for a second. This is a small thing, but it's maybe um, a sign of how Aristotle operates, and so it's good just to point it out as we're passing through. Uh, He says in my translation, which is a little different from Brian's, uh, every community is constituted for the sake of some good, Right, So why do we get together on this, oh, I don't know, soccer team? Well, it's to win soccer games. And then he says, by way of explanation, for everyone does everything for the sake of what is held to be good. And immediately, I think in Brian's it was what they think is good. And immediately you see a, a subtle but really important gap has opened up in his argument. These two sentences don't say the same thing. right? Uh, the community is for the sake of some good, but it might just be for the sake of what its members think is good. There's the additional question: Is it a real good?
1: Right, Jeff? Would you would you add to that? I don't know that these suggestions are mutually exclusive. But um, the city actually is for the sake of some good because if you if it if you didn't think or know is for a good, you wouldn't have this partnership. But the problem is that although it ought to be for the sake of some good, and that's why you join it. Um, you might not have been sufficiently thoughtful about whether or not it is good for you. So there's this disjunction between what actually is good and what you believe to be good. Is that fair? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's right. That's a good way of, I think, of characterizing the two levels that are at work, right? What is said about why we're doing what we're doing and what actually happens as a result of us doing what we're doing.
1: Yeah. What did you make? uh, I have the same translations as as Jeff, but when I was preparing for today, I thought this was um, a phrase that might trip people up. Um, He says, The partnership that is most authoritative of all and embraces all the others does so particularly and aims at the most authoritative good of all. I was interested in that particularly. What does he mean there? Let's just make sure we understand.
2: Yeah, I took that word as an intensifier. In other words, more so would be a synonym for particularly, but there might be a more precise way of characterizing that. Isn't he trying to explain something like why um, a state, say in the American system, has to give way when the federal government makes a claim, or why it sometimes has to give way? Right, because maybe the good that the federal government pursues is said to be more, what, comprehensive, a higher Mm -hmm. good? Is that what he's driving at with the word particularly?
1: There's another possibility, maybe I don't want to overread it, but it's always best to cast out as many options as as they're at least not ridiculous and then weed them back. (laughs) Um, But I was also wondering whether he meant um, it's not enough to speak in, in... uh simply in sort of vague universal terms, but we're actually talking about uh specifics. Is that fair?
0: Um. well I'm I'm a little confused as to the specifics, right? Like my translation just those last two sentences. Clearly then, as all associations aim at some good, that association which is the most sovereign, mm-hmm. I'm using sovereign here instead mm-hmm. of authoritative, I think. Sovereign among them all and embraces all others will aim highest, i.e. At the most sovereign of all goods. This is the association which we call the state, the association which mm-hmm. is political. So there's something, we haven't defined it yet, but it is the sovereign of all goods or the authoritative of all goods, and that you need the state association to try yeah. to attain it and so it, it, it seems like it's teasing it, it's teeing up, you know, at some point, hey, later we're gonna get on to what is the sovereign of all goods? What's the greatest good? And is and so is that I mean, between authoritative and sovereign, I mean, are we talking qualitatively, you know, greatest mm-hmm. good? Is that another way to describe mm-hmm. that? Or would you guys describe it somewhere? I way think I'm
1: I'm leading towards Jeff's suggestion, which is simpler than, than these um other interpretive suggestions, namely the intensifier, that what he's saying is, I I prefer the word most authoritative, because sovereign will get us mixed up perhaps with with kingship, a particular form of political rule, but that um, any other, you have um, less comprehensive associations, like he'll go on to speak about, say, the household, but the one that encompasses all of the associations in your life is going to be the political association and that is the most authoritative one by which he means most comprehensive. And maybe my reading of or my wondering about particularly is not directly um, in the text but might be worth uh, noting anyway. Um, to the extent that there is some it's a, sort of a modern concept to push toward a world state, world political community, Aristotle that's going to be nonsensical for Aristotle right that's what I guess that's what I was um, maybe un, un, illegitimately but flagged for me by this first sentence right that you yeah
2: yeah it's I think it's helpful that you point this out in part because um, I might at least um, at this point in Aristotle's argument um, have kept the world state option open uh, for for the following reason. Um, It looks to me like he's describing some kind of um, conversation between associations where they each make claims about the um, authoritative or comprehensive characters of their goods. Um, One way of winning the argument is by making an argument about a good that applies to all human beings as human beings, right? My political association applies to everybody as human beings. If you do that, uh, you're kind of headed towards a world state, uh, despite yourself, so, yes, I, yeah. yeah,
1: I think I, th- I think we are. I agree with you that at this point we couldn't rule it out, um, um, and, and maybe by the end of the podcast we won't have covered enough to rule it out either. Um, but it might also be the case, and I'll just leave it open as a question, Jeff. Referring back to to something you said in our intro, it might also be the case that even if something about a human good would suggest. Um, this very large um, sort of world state that that might not be possible because of other um, limitations that are given to us by nature. So maybe we'll just leave it open as a a question,
2: yeah. Yeah, sounds good. What do you Mm -hmm. think, guys? Do you want to press on, Brian? Oh, yeah. Sentence number one. (laughs) (laughs) One down. (laughs) We got three sentences in.
0: All right. It is an error to suppose, as some do, that the roles of a statesman, of a king, of a household manager, and of a master of slaves are the same, on the ground that they differ not in kind but only in point of numbers of persons, that a master of slaves, for example, has to do with a few people, a household manager with more, and a statesman or king with more still, as if there were no difference between a large household and a small state. They also reckon that when one person is in personal control over the rest, he has the role of a king, whereas when he takes his turn at ruling and at being ruled according to the principles of the science concerned, he is a statesman, but these assertions are false. This will be quite evident if we examine the matter according to our established method. We have to analyze other composite things till they can be subdivided no further, because we have reached the smallest parts of the wholes. So let us in the same way examine the component parts of the state and we shall see better how these two differ from each other and whether we can acquire any systematic knowledge about the several roles mentioned. So do we want to say something about this idea of the elemental, how important that yeah, is for Yeah, I, I think we
2: definitely do, but can I just um, maybe say something brief? It might not be terribly interesting, but it, it's worth getting out on the table about the supposition that um Rule only differs in terms of the number of people ruled and also whether you do it as it were continuously or intermittently, whether you let other people rule occasionally over you. Um, I guess a kind of defense of that view would just be to say something, maybe this is too simple-minded, but to say something like, ruling means just telling people what they should do. And it really doesn't change uh, based on how many people you're telling. It's just telling people what they need to do. What they need to do for themselves or for you, it doesn't matter, right? But that's the essence of ruling. And it looks like Aristotle thinks that it's got to be more complicated than that, and it's partly because of this question of complexity we're about to get into.
0: I don't, you know, I I, want to, unless that comes later, and I'm just forgetting about it, like, the idea of just telling somebody what to do. I mean, with the positions that he's laying out between... Uh, head of the household, head of slaves, and um, king. It's not just telling people what to do, right? It's there's consequences for not doing mm-hmm. what they say, right? And so, you know that that's a subtle difference. Like I can, you know, post on the comments section of the Mets website that they should change change their you know batting lineup, but they have there's no mm-hmm. reason for them to listen to me. But if I'm the owner of the Mets and I can fire everybody that doesn't listen to me then i'm mm-hmm. then i'm ruling right so there there's some idea of i can because of my power i can bring about consequences for people mm-hmm. that don't yeah. listen to me so i i just wanted to kind of tease that out a little bit because i feel like that's going to come later when we start talking about the idea the ideal of these associations being right. some mm-hmm. kind of justice um which i was confused mm-hmm. about yeah. but spoiler alert you know I, I'm confused, which happens every well,
1: podcast. Well, um, at the risk of going too slowly, I just want to take these these small steps. I always think it's useful to take sm- small steps, make sure we have common ground before we move forward. So I'm just going to uh, suggest a summary of what Brian just read, and then you guys correct me if you think it's unfair. But he lays out, as, as we um, pointed out in our introduction, various incorrect or at least partially incorrect, um, opinions about politics, namely the one we pointed out. People just conflate all these types of rules um, or forms of rulership. And he says, as Brian noticed, um, well, we're going to proceed the way we always do, which is we're going to take the city and analyze it, that is literally break it down into its parts. And then by looking at its parts and seeing what is proper to each part, we're going to see that 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 Initial opinion he lays out is incorrect, right? That these right. things, these types of rule can cannot be the same. And then I just want to be clear moving forward that the the question he's defining here, and he always lays out is you know, the question he's going to examine in in the first chapter of the book is just whether there's an art to politics. If we might think uh, the Greek word would be techné, if there's an art, a, it's a skill. It um, to a great extent, or to some significant extent, can be learned. A and B. If you haven't learned it, you are not competent, right? So this is obviously uh, getting back again to our opening. Um, we don't spend all that much time learning the so-called political art. At least our, you know, politicians don't spend that much time doing that. Um, Aristotle would think that's very bad if there is, in fact, an art, right? Mm.
2: Yeah, this is good because that helps to flesh out Brian's sense that uh, it matters if you have power over the people that you're addressing, right? Uh, I guess the typical form of an art would be something like um, a hypothetical necessity, right? If you want this, you must do that, right? And so you can't just blurt out orders at anybody without reference to what degree of power you have over them or to the kind of person they are. And so, presumably, a, a large part of the content of this political art would be learning those if-then necessities.
1: Right. It also means that if there is an art, and again, at this point, it's just just a question, if there is an art, and if you understand what that art is, you will also um, legitimately be able to legitimately judge uh, people who want to rule or who are ruling, because you'll just see, do they have you know, the skills that I know are necessary for this art. I think it's like saying someone's going to be, I don't know, a dentist, right? But they never actually learned the art. And, well, we maybe don't want those people working on your teeth, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of thing, yeah.
2: Right.
0: And it's just one other thing I just want to bring up just because, you know, for our readers who kind of hear us doing this regularly, like Aristotle actually calls it out where he says in that last paragraph, we have to analyze... Other composite things till they can be subdivided no further because we have reached the smallest parts of the holes. right? So this is something we try to do in everything that we read where we try to get to its most base essence and then understand how it got built up. Right, and if we're trying to build, you know, when we're trying to build our arguments for whatever point we're trying to make, it, we're also trying to do it with the smallest composite parts of the argument. Be very specific about the elements we're using and how they come together, because you know we want to do that so that somebody can tell us we're wrong. Right? If we don't, if we don't use the elementals, uh, or we're not using the elementals that the author is using, or some kind of universal elementals that we can point to, then we're either Going to mislead our, our fellow readers, uh, or we're going to mislead ourselves in how That's we're right. analyzing these things. You
1: know, again, when I was thinking about uh, prepar- preparing for this and why I wanted to do this particular book, I was reminded of something Jeff and Jeff uh, raised, but all of us are familiar with it as um, people involved in the community of Saint Saint John's, the community of learning that is Saint John's, and that is this this phrase: "Reason is the only authority." Right, going back to what Brian said. Uh, we go back to the fundamentals because if I know that I cannot go any uh, to any smaller part, I'm starting at the the one that's that's really the proper place to begin and build forward. Then, just using reason alone, I actually ought to be able to prove or prove as well as can be done, which I'm just going to say is to prove my argument. And so too, if I start somewhere and somebody else says, "Oh yeah, but you overlooked X," right? I can know that I'm wrong. So now we start to see it. It's not just a matter of assertions. That there are, according to Aristotle, and um, uh, there are ways a human being thinks, and um, and we can all sh- know about these shared starting points. Right? If you don't have them, you don't have an account.
0: I also like the uh, punk rock mm-hmm. version of that, which is reason <laughs> there's co-authority. No I just I just I just feel like that there's a, St. John's is missing out on like a great T-shirt option with like Sid Vicious on it with like reason knows <laughs> no authority. So just a, an idea for the marketing department. Excellent. OK. <laughs> anyway. We, <laughs> do we want to go to the, the, the pairs? Yeah, do we want to move on to the pairs to paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys want to start on chapter two?
2: Yeah, let's do it.
0: All right, let's go. OK. We shall, I think, in this, as in other subjects, get the best view of the matter if we look at the natural growth of things from the beginning. The first point is that those which are incapable of existing without each other must be united as a pair. For example, the union of male and female is essential for reproduction, and this is not a matter of choice, but it is due to the natural urge, which exists in other animals too and in plants, to propagate one's kind. Equally essential is the combination of the natural ruler and ruled for the purpose of preservation, for the element that can use its intelligence to look ahead as by nature ruler and by nature master, while that which has the bodily strength to do the actual work is by nature a slave, one of the things, one of those who are ruled. Thus, there is a common interest uniting master yeah, I guess okay, we pause, pause there.
1: there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, so I, I anticipate, or maybe, maybe incorrectly, but... Um, that some people will pause with this claim that men and women need each other. Um, And I guess I could see a number of ways in which people might object to that off the cuff. And one might be, well, you know, sex, strictly speaking, isn't a necessity. It's not like food, it's not like I'm going to die if I don't have sex. Um, Or or some people won't anyway. (laughs) Um, That's not his claim here right? So to the um, pointing specifically to male and female, obviously, now we're, we, we, we wouldn't limit sexual or other meaningful relationships just to that combination. He is here, but the argument is actually based on, or correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it looks to me like it, the claim is basically, if the human being per se, or the species did not have this combination of male and female, it wouldn't reproduce, so it wouldn't be. So is am I right to think that that's why he's saying this is what's necessary it's necessary for reproduction um now I understand that gets you know comp- more complicated with technology et cetera, but in its simplest form this is the claim yeah
0: And I think it's important for just the how to settle this argument within the natural world right because he's going to come back to this later where he's going to describe like what nature does um so I think it's important to put it in that context um it it helps frame the argument later on for me and and how he's describing things and you know makes makes hierarchy a little bit more easy to stomach i think to a degree because you know kind of like what you alluded to at least like some of the stuff you're just like (laughs) no uh but if you if you switch over to the natural world the non-human world and then you can maybe buy hierarchical systems Mm -hmm. a little bit easier. Yeah, if I can
2: just press on that uh, word hierarchy for a second, there is a really interesting nuance to me that that builds on that thought. Um, It looks to me like Aristotle says, um, those who need one another on account of preservation are the naturally ruling and ruled, but not those who need one another for the sake of reproduction and the perpetuation of the species, right? In other words, the need for preservation has a political character built into it from the beginning that the erotic need does not have, right? That if it has a political character, it's not intrinsic to the erotic need, but it's gonna be super added later on, right? And so watching how the the pairings based on self-preservation, which are political, and the pairings based on perpetuation of the species, which are not, watching how they interact is going to be part of the very interesting putting together of the elements in this section.
0: Yeah. So we have propagation and preservation. Well, Let's form the household. Well, Do you actually, guys want can to form I? Can household? I just? I, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is more. more. Actually, um, there's okay.
1: three steps to this, right? So sorry, there's going to be quite a lot of repetition, but um, in my translation, first, then there must of necessity be a conjunction of persons who cannot exist without one another, and then two types. On the one hand, male and female for the sake of reproduction, which occurs not from intentional choice, but as is also the case with other animals and plants, from a natural striving to leave behind another that is like oneself. So that's that's part of just the nature of living beings, including plants. We have this striving. And then two, on the other hand, the naturally ruling and ruled on account of preservation. This is the one that's going to be um well i think is particularly interesting right um mm-hmm. because he goes on from there to say that there there is a naturally ruling and mastering element and and then there's the one that's naturally mastered and he looks at that in terms of the individual as the distinction we make between um mind and and body that it is mm-hmm. it's a um it's proper for your mind to uh rule in some way your appetites or your bodily drives if it were the other way around why would that could we say now why that would be not natural in terms of just what he's said so far
2: well, one thing that occurs to me is that perhaps the um, desire to reproduce and leave behind another like oneself could interfere with your preservation, right? And your foresight might tell you if I do this, there's going to be a risk to my preservation, uh, even though I feel some kind of natural erotic drive to do it, right? So there's a kind of built in tension uh, in the human being and in other beings that's coming to the fore here because they have foresight. Mm hmm. There is one other thing that I wanted to point out that just puzzles me. I don't know if we can say anything about it now, but um, following again on Brian's noticing the, um, the need for elements in the argument, um, if I were going to analyze something into its elements, I don't think um, the first thing I would say um, about those elements is that I want to see how they um, develop or how they come to be or something like that naturally. In other words, it's not it's not clear to me that we have the elements or Aristotle's claiming that we have the elements even beginning here. Um, And part of the reason that that's not clear to me is because things already seem to be happening. They're moving, right? Whereas I kind of expect the elements just to sit there once I've analyzed them until I start putting them back together.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I might say just just returning a little bit to this, what's naturally ruling and ruled in terms of what we've done. If a human being... Uh, we're ruled by the so-called body. Say, let's just look at appetites in a simple form, like eating. So um, you never use your mind to rule over the desire for food. You just pig out all the time. Well, that is actually uh, going to undermine your preservation, So <laughs> your health, but maybe also some other, other striving. So that might be a, a simple way to think about um, the hierarchy he sets up here between mind and body, a sort of sim- simple illustration of, of why that ought to be the case, that your mind would in some way rule your body.
2: Um. Mm-hmm. And that's good because it broadens it from the example I gave of erotic desires that might imperil our preservation to any bodily desire. Right. right. In yeah. other words, it says the natural world is not constituted so that the, the body's doing what it wants at all times is going to work out well for that body. Right, yeah. There's a complication that requires mind to start sorting it out.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: Why
0: do I really <laughs> want a whiskey? <laughs> <laughs> but you're
2: not going to get one because of foresight, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you keep telling me, like, you're foresight, you know, mm-hmm. use your intellect. Some part of me is just going, I want a whiskey. Uh, do we want do to form, the, form household. the household? Okay. Because uh, I want to try to form the state. <months>. And I, and I want, Rome I want wasn't to try to at, to at the least day, form the <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nature, then, is distinguished between female and slave. She recognizes different functions and lavishly provides different tools, not an all-purpose tool like the Delphic knife. For every instrument will be made best if it serves not many purposes but one. But non-Greeks assigned a female and slave exactly the same status. This is because they have nothing which is by nature fitted to rule. Their association consists of a male slave and a female slave. So as the poets say, it is proper that Greeks should rule non-Greeks. The implication being that non-Greek and slave are by nature identical. Thus it was out of the association formed by men with these two women and slaves that a household was first formed. And the poet Hesiod was right when he wrote, get first a house and a wife and an ox to draw the plow. The ox being a poor man's slave, this association of persons established according to nature for the satisfaction of daily needs is the household, and members of which Chirondas calls breadfellows, and 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 Epimenides the Cretan stable companions. Should we
2: stop there? Yeah. yeah All right. So good. we have a household,
0: <laughs> and we've we so we've established here that like uh, Aristotle is. Uh, teasing out the fact that like we greeks don't don't believe in this hierarchy that non-greeks have right the non-greeks have a different hierarchy so than the greeks uh,
1: well they the the i thought the the criticism is that aristotle saying if you really want to be clear headed there ought to be one task for every everything um and if you have Uh, sort of a mixing of different tasks, you're not behaving in a clear-headed way so that the barbarians uh, equate the female with the slave. And then he goes on to say, well, why do they do that? Well, because in fact their men are slaves too. So in other words, everybody's... uh, a slave in some way, although it's always suspicious when he quotes an authority to back up an opinion. So here he says, you know, this is why the poets say it's fitting for the Greeks to rule barbarians. That doesn't mean Aristotle necessarily thinks that that's fitting, but he does think it's problematic to say, well, a a woman is equivalent to a slave because they each have a a proper and separate task,
2: Yeah? Right, right. So... Yeah, I'm a little puzzled about the the Delphic knife here, right? It looks like um, a good artisan will make an artifact that can do several things, right? We might say Swiss Army knife is our modern day version, right? You know, it can open uh, 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 bottles and it can, and uh, you can use a knife or what have you. Um, but nature doesn't work like that, and I'm wondering what it is about nature. Um, is it is it reason that distinguishes that there's one purpose for everything in nature? Is it Does it just go back to the conflict that we mentioned earlier, and that's what reason sees and the barbarians don't see that differentiates uh, the woman from the slave in this case?
1: I'm press on the Swiss army knife example, because wouldn't, wouldn't the analogy work better to say, yes, a Swiss army knife has numerous tools in it, but it is still the case that the knife in the Swiss Army knife is best used for cutting um, rather than as a screwdriver, although, of course, you can use it for that, too. It just, that's not what it's best at. It's not what the artisan made the knife for. Mm isn't Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, So so so, yeah, yeah.
2: so is the best baked into the natural things as they're made by nature? I think that's the
1: suggestion, yes.
0: Mm. That seems to be what what he's saying, but You know, we got to get to what the purpose is, right? That apparently both the man, the woman, and the slave will all have one purpose that nature has designed them for. And we got to find out. They'll each have their own purpose,
1: yes, yes. Okay, let's go from the household to the village.
2: Well, can I just
0: point one more (laughs) thing? Sorry, I know (laughs) I'm (laughs) slowing this down, but
2: just one more thing. The he's the adverse does not have a slave in it, it has an ox. And Aristotle tries to explain that, but it does raise a question of why you might want an ox rather than a slave, or why you might want a slave rather than an ox. And I yes. just put put that out there because that's going to come up later.
1: Okay, well if you're gonna do that, then let me note too that in the first the first poet, when he says the poets say it's fitting for Greeks to rule barbarians, it's not clear that Aristotle agrees with that. But when he quotes he see it in the Uh, what you just referred to jeff he says he says hesius's verse is rightly spoken first a house and a woman and an ox so he seems to endorse that that's that's a correct uh, opinion yeah okay
0: my only note is that i'm bad at pronouncing greek names (laughs) all right let's form the village the next stage is the village, the first association of a number of houses for the satisfaction of something more than daily needs. It comes into being through the process of nature in the fullest sense as offshoots of a household are set up by sons and grandsons. The members of such a village are therefore called by some homogalactic yeah homogalactic (laughs) this is why states were were at first ruled by kings as our foreign nations to this day they were formed from constituents constituents which were themselves under kingly rule for every household is ruled by its senior member as by a king and the offshoots too because of their blood relationship are ruled in the same way this kind of rule is mentioned in homer each man has power of law over children and wives he is referring to scattered settlements, which were common in primitive times. For this reason, the gods, too, are said to be governed by a king, namely because men themselves were originally ruled by kings, and some are so still. Just as men imagine gods in human shape, so they imagine their way of life to be like that okay. of men.
1: So the, so the village is the outgrowth of the family, and uh, there's a close association, it looks like, between the, the father, there's the head of the household, and and the king, that'll get complicated later which we're obviously not going to get to but but um but then but then we get to the city so maybe is it okay to push on in the interest of time yeah well let me just
0: make (laughs) i want to make one note here is that now now i get a note uh is is that now we have this somewhat distributed power network right we have not necessarily one person that rules everyone directly like you would have within the household but you have people ruling other individuals dispersed, right, and notionally, there's still this hierarchy that goes all the way up to the gods, or at least mimics the gods, but there's a distributed power relationship as opposed to kind of a singular power relationship, at least that's how I'm reading. that sounds Tell right, but
1: I'm now right. that you've now that you've uh, started to analyze this section, let's just add to it there's a there's a three step that's easy to hang on with our minds. The household is the partnership constituted by nature for the needs of daily life. So that's as, as basic or primitive as it gets. The village is for the sake of non-daily needs. Okay, so let's keep those two things in mind as we move to the city, obviously, because it's going to be for neither of those two things simply, but we already know it's supposed to comprehend those things, at least, right? And then presumably go beyond them. Okay.
2: Yeah, and we should press on, but we'll just note that the gods come up here and uh, raising the gods here seems gratuitous. It's not required by Aristotle's argument. So we're gonna have to wonder why at some point, but let's press yes.
1: on. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's,
0: okay, it's That's a good point. Ah, so the formation of the state. The final association formed of several villages is the state. For all practical purposes, the process is now complete. Self-sufficiency has been reached. And while the state came about as a means of securing life itself, it continues in being to secure the good life. Therefore, every state exists by nature, as the earlier association, associations too were natural. This association is the end of those others, and nature is itself an end. For whatever is the end product of the coming into existence of any object, that is what we call its nature, of a man, for instance, or a horse or a household. Moreover, the aim and the end is perfection, and self-sufficiency is both end and Okay,
1: end so this perfection. is a dense little paragraph as we have them laid out here, but let's just begin to parse it. Um, there is the assertion of nature as the proper authority. To go back to what Jeff was noting before, nature has one end for each thing, or the, the thing is most defined by the end that is peculiar to it. Um, he goes on to say, okay, so it's clear that um, the union of man and, wo- and, and woman f- at least for the sake of reproduction, is is natural and necessary. Um, but having established that as sort of the the starting point, he then here goes on to say there's a trajectory built into these relationships that moves from the household being constituted for just needs of daily life to the villages being constituted for non-daily needs to the, the city, um, which would be sort of equivalent to... Uh, sort of a, a nation, that's established for the sake, not only of those prior two things, but also for the sake of living well. So this becomes, what does it mean to live well? But it's not going to be something like the pressing needs of daily life or non-daily life. It's something different. And not only, not only different, but those other things are justified. They look to, or they're, they're fulfilled actually in living well, Right.
0: But I think that what we've teased out, though, is that because we have in that prior paragraph about the formation of the household, that each person in the household has a different purpose Then each person in the state will have a different best life or a different good life, a different end. Um, So, I mean, in in this sentence, this association is the end of those others, and nature is itself an end for whatever is the end product of coming into existence of any object. That is what we call its nature, of a man, for instance, or a horse or a household. I actually think that's. I guess it. I, no, I, I yeah, say, go ahead, sorry.
1: that's a good observation, but I think it's complicated and maybe doesn't go in the direction you're moving. That is, yeah?
0: No, I think now that I'm reading <laughs> okay, it, so I what,
1: what are you thinking? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I think there, I don't think we can say that. I guess we got to figure out what the purpose is of women and slaves, according to Aristotle. Uh, and also, you know, he specifically lists of a man or a horse or a household. So then there's some other purpose for a man versus for a yeah. household. And so, I guess I, that's... Even though, I mean... I'm, that's a gender a, yeah,
1: neutral okay. use of men there. So we could just plug in human being as well. So the complication I was seeing, Brian, that I think you're hitting oh, okay. on is... Um, the, the most primitive associations divide beings according to the end that's peculiar to them. Um, a man, a woman, and an ox. Um, they might have, sim- of course, they do have some similarities and underlying similar needs, including ox and human being, like food, food etc. But they also have ways in which um, things that are peculiar to them that the others can't fulfill or can't fulfill as well. Certainly reproduction, prior to technology, at least, um, that's going to be true of man and woman. Um, then when he gets to the city and we're dealing with no longer just basic uh, uh, daily needs and non-daily needs, but now we're talking about living well, he divides it in the way you suggest, Brian, and now we, we, he speaks of living well in terms of the individual, the human being, and in terms of the household, and those are separate so it's, it's at least possible now that the household which emphasized differences between human beings is superseded by the city and its goal of living well, which um, actually emphasizes the underlying sameness of the human being per se. That is, there's something shared and higher than gender differences.
2: So for me, it would be uh, good to understand better this trajectory from um, the beings that cannot exist without each other, right? So the man who, the male who cannot perpetuate his species without a female and who cannot plow the fields enough to feed himself without an ox to um, the concern, uh, maybe on the part of at least two of the three of those, for living well. Right. Is it that once you become convinced that you're going to be able to exist, right, that uh, your existence is not threatened in one way or another, uh, you just naturally start to wonder, well, couldn't it be better than this? Or are there other difficulties that present themselves Mm -hmm. at each stage as the association grows and it's necessary to address them? So there's a kind of natural dynamic that presses you from one to the next to the next kind of association as it grows.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe in light of that, um, I'll just reread my translation of of what the city is, because, of course, this is part of what we're aiming at. Every city, therefore, exists by nature, if such also are the first partnerships. For the city is their end, and nature is an end. What each thing is, for example, a human being, a horse, or a household— When its coming into being is complete is, we assert, the nature of that thing. And that for the sake of which a thing exists or end is what is best. And self-sufficiency is an end and what's best. So yes, to Jeff's last point, it looks like there's a suggestion here that there's a kind of press, not even necessarily uh, recognized fully for what it is, from the household toward living well and in the city living well can be a- a- attained or at least in, in the in the city um, rightly ruled
0: super easy stuff guys so if you <laughs> lost so far <laughs> we've formed a village and then we formed a state all right so so we've got the state and now we need to figure out how the individual kind of fits into that, right? Because the individual is still part of it and we're trying to figure out what's best. So Aristotle's next line, it follows that the state belongs to the class of objects which exist by nature, and that man is by nature a political. And I animal. guess
2: I can I can stop us just there because this is one of the things I had on my mind. Uh, an instance of Aristotle's tendency to give a conclusion that he presents as evident that covers up some of the difficulties that he's just spent so much time trying to spell out for us. So if you remember the the passage a few lines earlier that Lise pointed out, right? Um, uh, Every city therefore exists by nature if such also are the first communities. Well, it looks like that difficulty has been submerged in this formula that's very famous for Aristotle and that gets quoted all the time. Man mm-hmm. is by nature a political animal. Why am I
0: having trouble buying that? I mean, it, it, it's, it, it it's it happens a lot, right? But I mean, it's because 99.999% of humanity is born into a state system. So, I can't prove that wrong necessarily, but I also am not necessarily going to just say to Aristotle, yeah, that's, no, you're right, because it happens, right? There's, I feel like there's something missing from that argument.
2: It looks like what one way of reading it that might be more faithful to uh, the things that we've been going over just now is to say every human being gets launched on a political trajectory because of uh, certain needs that they have. And one possible uh, destination on that trajectory is becoming a political animal in the sense of being submerged and being made use of uh, by a state somewhere, right? But there might be other solutions. There might be other possible outcomes.
1: We might just be explicit, Jeff. You have in mind as a possible outcome, of course, premature as a conclusion, given that we didn't get that far in the reading, but it might be the case that... A human being is by nature a philosophic animal, and there right. might be some. There might be a tension between philosophy and politics. Going back to our very beginning, that's irresolvable and has to be managed. That is, that we need both things. Um, that philosophy might be higher than politics, but polit- But it might require politics, um, and um, if that's the case. Uh, that there is a tension between these things, but philosophy is reliant on politics in some way. That's an example of something that has to be managed rather than um, resolved. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, we are a little over time and uh, which it kind of stinks because there's a great Homer (laughs) quote um, coming up about the war mad man um, but we will. Here, here's what you. Here's what you have to do, listeners. Tweet us. Tweet us. At Combat and classics. If you want us to do a part two, <laughs> that's a good idea. Uh, uh, yeah. Otherwise, we're. Otherwise, we're going to do uh, Ernest Hemingway. Some more Hemingway next. Um, so. Yeah. Any any parting shots though? We 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 really got into it today. So thank you for uh, your yeah, patience, actually. listener. Uh, but I feel like this is why you. Yeah, why Brian. You do that this.
1: your point is really is really good. There, they should definitely tweet you
0: <laughs> <to let> them- <laughs> no, I have a combat and classics <laughs> Twitter <laughs> account. I think I've retweeted two did- things. Uh, but I am set up. No, for I was just going to say
1: feedback. So. Um, I, I was just joking there. Really, um, we all look at the <laughs> tweets, but um, feedback as to as to what listeners are liking um, or not liking would be helpful for us in t- terms of determining what we should do next. Yeah.
0: Well, I think more Brian reading and less Brian talking. Uh, you got the voice. The, the implicit. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Well, I can't can't really say anything incredibly stupid when I'm reading directly from the great books. So I feel like people probably appreciate that. And you guys' subtle nudge in that direction has not been uh, unnoticed, but it is also appreciated. You know, like, how can we save Brian from himself? Just have him read. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, The Hills Are Like White Elephants is what we have on the schedule Right now, for our next pod. Um, also, just a teaser um, we'll have an interview with Matt Young, author of Eat the Apple, coming out uh, shortly. We're doing that interview in about two weeks from uh, the recording date uh, today. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, oh, also, if you're in Colorado yeah, Springs, yeah, come say visit to jam. us
2: at the U.S. Air Force a- Academy.
0: Yeah. Did you intro yourself? I, at, at I did FIFA not. Or did you? Yeah. Still, were you like no, muscle memory at Saint Express John's? The views program
2: are not the opinion of the United States government or the United States <laughs> Air Force.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: covered that on day one. Days, <laughs> one. days one through four. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Super. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thanks, thank guys. You, thank Brian. you very much. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks,
2: Lisa.